A guten Erev Shabbos to our friends and members of the West Mount Shul. This Shabbos is Shabbos Shuva. Uh, we're very excited about this Shabbos. Uh, great opportunity for us to return to Hashem. And Mir uh, Hashem at 5 o'clock, I'll be giving a Shabbos Shuva drasha. But to, to get us ready for the Shabbos before Shabbos, I'd like to talk about this time frame that we are in, the Aseris Yemei Teshuvah, the 10 days of Teshuvah, and how certain current events maybe are lining up with the Aseris Yemei Teshuvah. There's things we can learn about um, that will help us with our own Avodas Hashem. Let me start with a Rambam. The Rambam says in the laws of tshuva that even though tshuva and crying out are always good, but in the 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, it is even better and to be accepted immediately. As the Pesach says, Dear Shu Hashem Behimotso, seek out Hashem when he is found. And because of this very special time, the Torah writes in the Shulchan Aruch that we have various customs of stringencies that we accept upon ourselves that we don't usually accept upon ourselves an entire year. One of them is the prohibition of eating pas palter, which means kosher bread, but made by non-Jews. Completely kosher, but made by non-Jews. And to be strict and only have pas Yisrael, bread that's made by Jews. And there's other stringencies as well. And uh, the question is, why? Why do we want to make all these stringencies knowing that we don't do these stringencies beforehand and we don't do these stringencies afterwards, but only for these 10 days? So Rav Shalom Shvadron, or rather Rav Yaakov Galinsky, says, just like when you're taking a picture And you want the picture to be as nice as possible, so you look normal. So on the 10 days of tshuva, we're also, so to speak, taking a picture. I want to look as presentable as possible before Hashem. I want to show Hashem, you know, what we could look like when we really try our best to do this. But it's very interesting why of all the things that the Torah picked this idea of eating kosher bread that's made by non-Jews. Well, let me give you a little historical insight into these 10 days, and I'll briefly share with you three stories, maybe four, very brief historical notes to know what is so special about this time frame. The Shem Mishmuel tells us, he brings from Chazal, that we know the days that Bilam tried to curse the Jews and he was not successful. And he said, how can I curse those that God does not want cursed? How can I cause God's anger when God does not want to get anger? And the rabbis tell us that the days that he wanted to do this were the Aseris Yemei Tshuva, were the 10 days of Tshuva. So what's the first thing we see over here? We see that these are days that Hashem really is looking to find the best in us. And Hashem is not listening to prosecutions against us. The greatest prosecutor ever, Bilam, who was looking for the littlest thing wrong with the Jews, but he saw it was these 10 days 
And the Jews are so respectful one to another. They're so kind to each other that he wasn't able to find anything wrong because Hashem fills the world with a shefa of rachamim, with an abundant flow of kindness and mercy. And if we ever want to show Hashem how serious we are and how loving we are to Hashem, this is the time where there are metaphysical changes in reality from the highest spheres to the lowest spheres. And therefore, there's tremendous opportunity to be able to change because Hashem is helping us with any changes we want to make. And this, of course, really puts into focus the tragedy of Tzom Gedalia, the, the day in which Gedalia ben Achikam, the last governor of the Jewish people, was murdered by, uh, by, by one of the Jews who made a whole um, uh, conspiracy to have him killed. And the great tragedy is, it's always a tragedy when you murder somebody. But to murder somebody, Dafka, in a time where all the energies are so positive, this makes it horrific. In a time where so much good could happen, people chose to do bad. They ignored the realities um, of, the, of the season and kill him, whether it was Rosh Hashanah, Machlokas, or the after Rosh Hashanah. But in that time, you don't have in mind politics and trying to kill somebody. So that's a horrific start. But on the other hand, we find another interesting story in the book of Daniel, where Daniel and his friends, Hananiah, Mishon, and Azariah, who were taken in as young people to, to be um, uh, future uh, advisors to King Nebuchadnezzar, and they were brought as captives, but uh, important people, captives, so to speak. And they were brought in and the person in charge of feeding them wanted to give them the regular food that was found for all the people in the kingdom. The nicest, the best food, but it was not necessarily kosher. And the Neil told the person in charge, he says, we can't eat this. We'd rather eat seeds. And he said, I can't do that. If the king sees that you're not healthy, then he'll have my head. You got to eat the not kosher food. So what does Daniel say? Daniel says, let's do a 10-day test. And we'll see how we look after the 10 days. And we see that Taka after the 10 days, they were healthier than anybody else. And of course, what were those 10 days? Those 10 days with the Aseris made Teshuvah again. Here we have an indication of the 10 days of Tshuva and we're talking about the A-King, although it was Nebuchadnezzar, but still it was A-King. And we're trying to show the king these people had a big test. Do we do what is expected? Do we do what another king wants? Or do what the king of all kings wants us to do? And therefore, they said, you know what? This is a time of great closeness to Hashem, and we have to show our great courage for Hashem and do something that otherwise would be very, very difficult. And instead of having the regular bread, they had the seeds. And this is probably, says some of the rabbis, the source of why we don't eat any food cooked by the non-Jews about bread. Because it was exactly in that area of bread that Daniel and his friends 
rose to the challenge. So here we see we've got uh, this great opportunity of these 10 days where the murderers of Gedalia didn't take it to heart at all. The men of Daniel and his group uh, rose to high levels. And finally, there's one more story. And the other story deals with David HaMelech in the book of Shmuel. David HaMelech, when he was on the run from King Shaul, it's a long story, but I'll give you just the brief points of the story. His men were on the run and they needed, uh, they needed food, they needed shelter, and they would always try to do a good deeds when they could. So there was a particular person called Novel, Novel the Carmelite. And he had lots of sheep and the sheep were, you know, very far away from his home. And there were shepherds that worked for Novel. And it was challenging because you have wolves and you have thieves and thugs and this and that. And David's men spent a whole season helping the shepherds and protecting them. When the shearing season came, it was time to shear all the sheep. And that's a great time of celebration. And Novel, who now had so many sheep and sheared the sheep and had great celebrations, lots of food and everything. So David sent his, his band of men and said, go to Novel and ask him to give us some food. And that we can enjoy too. After all, we helped him. And Novel, the man that he was, the selfish, greedy man that he was, he said, I'm not giving you anything. I never asked you to help me. And he throws them out. Not very nice thing to do. David is really upset. And he sends his men. He says, we're going to go now to Novel and kill him. Now there's all kinds of details that I'm leaving out why he felt it was right to kill him, because after all, he was already the anointed king, even though Shaul was around. But anyway, he, he decides to kill them. And then what happens is the workers who were working with Novel, who saw what happened, told Novel's wife, Abigail, what happened. And Abigail says, oh my goodness, this is not a good idea. So Abigail loads up lots of animals with lots of foods and provisions, she heads David off at the pass and is able to dissuade David from killing Naval and she uh, saves the day as it were. But she realizes that what Naval did was a terrible, terrible thing. Now Naval, as we know, was stingy, miserly, a boor. The name Novel in Hebrew means a boor or like a lout, like a really terrible guy. The rich man with thousands of sheep and goats who wouldn't give David anything. But his wise wife, Abigail, was able to save the day. She comes back and uh, her husband is drunk. So she didn't tell him anything until the next morning. The next morning when the wine had gone out of Novel, then his wife told him everything that happened and she said what she did. And the text says, and his heart died within him and he became like a stone. Meaning the shock of discovering his terrible miscalculation. Uh, once he sobers up and it gives Novel whatever, a heart attack, a stroke. So say the Mephorship, 
And then what happened? And for 10 days, he was sick and then he died. The rabbis tell us again, what were the 10 days? The 10 days were the Aseris Yemei Teshuvah. So now we got to think, what is this message over here? So one of the Mephorshim explains that while Novel was drunk and reveling, what does it mean? He was incapable of taking a spiritual uh, accounting. All his feelings were dulled, his senses were dimmed, and but for every drunkard, for every sinner, for every novel comes the morning when the wine has gone out, when the drunkenness recedes, and when wakefulness returns. Rav Salavechik Zichronel of Racha explains this relationship between novel and Abigail is really what the Aseris Yemei Tshuva are all about. Rav Salavechik says, a capacity for a sense of sin, like a sensation of pain in physical illness, has been planted by Hashem in all of Hashem's creatures. Religious and non-religious, believer, atheist, and agnostic, says Rav Salavechik, Avigail speaks to all equally. He calls it like the Avigail factor. And therefore, for every novel, for everyone who's ever been too blind to see the mounting, mounting crisis before their eyes, and Abigail sits in wait to tell us the tragedy we've ignored. And there's all kinds of ways we dull our senses and we dull ourselves to the red flags, to the sounds of Abigail's voice. With novel, it was alcohol, but for others, it could be other things. And Novel, who was finally told what she should have done. But as a matter of fact, Abigail says to him the following words. She says to him, Ma Osisa, what have you done? And Osisa, I in sin, Yudsaf, is the first letters of Aseres Yemei Teshuva. And it was during these 10 days, we have the outer novel, the coarse part of us that gets a lulled into following all the physical trappings of life. And then we have the Avigail, which means the father who's joyful, the one who understands what Hashem wants. And these 10 days is where we're pulled between the novel in ourselves and the Avigail inside of ourselves. And as we have seen throughout the history of the 10 days of Tshuva, that Hashem brings a tremendous energy of protection so wonderful that even a Bilaam cannot hurt us with his words. And there can be people that are so impervious to that. The murderers of Gedalia, who are only interested in politics and what's in their best interest and not interested in doing tshuva to doing the extreme opposite of murder right after Rosh Hashanah. And then we have those like Novo who just see what's going on and realize they've done foolish things and they're just not able to turn it around irrespective of Abigail's encouragement to change. And on the other hand, we have Daniel and his friends who are willing to risk their lives and take a test and to see, yes, maybe we can change and we can see that things will even turn out better than expected. This is the opportunities that we have. And I think we have to look at the current events that are going on in the Ukraine 
and around the world. We have to really look and understand how God is putting a sense of insanity into all world leaders. It, it, from this war in Ukraine, which I don't want to get very much involved in the politics over here, but all the countries of the world are making decisions that are to the detriment of all. We have to remember that World War I started from a teenager assassinating somebody and millions of people died from that foolishness. Hashem puts it in the mind of people to do certain things. And now, the Mamish on Rosh Hashanah, where the Nord Stream natural gas line gets sabotaged. And that is definitely something that the Russians are not happy about. And for those foolish people who suggest that the Russians sabotage their own oil, they're obviously lying to everyone because that's not something Russia would do. And well, Biden expressly said months ago that he would make sure that no oil comes from there. It's pretty clear who really destroyed that pipeline. And what foolish games politicians are playing with something that could have been settled last March through simple diplomacy. But people have agendas. United States has agendas. Ukraine has agendas. Russia has agendas. They're all evil. Every one of them. But they're not taking it easy. They're just escalating, escalating, escalating. Escalating to a point where, you know what? Somebody's got to be the adult in the room and let's just end this. And it's not happening. And when you hear words of Putin saying he plans on using his nuclear weapons, you know, you got to realize... He's serious. He is the greatest owner of nuclear um, bombs more than anyone else. And we have very foolish people dealing with him. And we have to realize, you know, it gets to a point where you may not have any options. We're slowly getting to a point where the United States is sending billions and billions and billions of dollars to an authoritative government such as Ukraine. They're not a democracy. Don't be fooled to think they are. Making a hero out of Zelensky when he's just using his people as pawns to be murdered. It doesn't matter this communist, another communist. They're all communists. And things could have ended a long time ago. And now they're slowly, slowly getting to a point where it's escalating and escalating and there's nobody, it's almost at the point where it will be too late. Now, Hashem is in charge of everything and Hashem will take care of everything. And as I said on Yontem, there's nothing to worry if we follow Hashem's agenda, but He certainly wants us to learn some things. You know, this idea where we find international diplomacy failing, not even working, and we're at a crisis point. We have to take these ideas seriously. Russia will not allow their pipeline to be sabotaged without retaliation. You see the foolishness of all the embargoes against Russia and what's been the result? Western countries are going down the drain, inflation, and Russia is prospering. None of this is working. 
this will affect us. And we have to know that we all have had moments in our lives where we, where we have no good options left and where we only can decide amongst bad options. And when does this happen? Oftentimes is when we let things spiral out of control. And when we look back, we realize that had we done something sooner, we wouldn't be in the mess we are now. You know, examples like if I had, if I had gone to the doctor sooner when I wasn't feeling well. If I hadn't, if I had taken my aging parents' car keys away before the accident. If I had gotten my child help sooner. If I had admitted, if I have admitted to myself I needed help. How many times in our lives have we wished we could have do, do a do-over? Wouldn't it be nice to be able to turn back time with our 2020 hindsight and make the hard decisions that would avoid these situations where the decisions are no longer hard, but rather impossible. But we can't turn back time. There are no do-overs. All we can do is play the hand we've dealt ourselves and either such as accept the bad diagnosis that could have been prevented had it been caught earlier, but we were too lazy to check it out. Or explain to a grieving family that we wish we had taken the car keys away sooner. Or apologizing to our children for not accepting that they needed more help than we ourselves could give them. Or to pick up the broken pieces of our lives after we've made a mess of them. From everything in life, from everything in the world, there's great lessons to learn about what's happening in the world. In Ukraine and all around the world. You know, they say that if you put a frog in a pot of hot water, it'll jump out right away. But if you put it in a pot and slowly increase the temperature, it'll stay there even as it boils to death. Raboisai, the international world is the frog and the water's getting hotter and hotter and hotter. Now, what are we supposed to learn? Are we maybe that frog? in terms of spirituality? Are we letting certain things happen in our lives and things are getting hotter and hotter? And that's why Hashem gives us the 10 days of Teshuvah. And now you have all these historical role models or the opposite. And each and every one of us is going to make a decision either to be like the ones who killed Gedalia or to be like the novels of the world, who that even though his wife tells him what a fool you were, he just, he can't bring himself to make any changes even though he sees how bad the situation is till he dies. Or to be like Daniel and his friends say, we're ready to accept the challenge and we're ready to make changes and we're ready to show Hashem the best thing that we could be. This is the issue that we have to think about during these 10 days and specifically this Shabbos. Are we going to take the initiative and make real changes, although it'll be difficult or to have difficult conversations, but Hashem is giving us so much strength. There's inner strength to be tapped into that we can't do a whole year. 
And we have to believe that, no, it is still not too late. Even though it's been too late in certain areas, but maybe not in other areas. In the world politics, it's still not too late if people would recognize their foolish ways. Things could be better for everybody. And we watch a stubborn world leadership that don't care if things get out of control and maybe want them to get out of control. We have to ask ourselves, where do we fit in that continuum for the 10 days of Teshuvah? Let me end with a story with the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov went to a city to be the Masadr Kedusha to arrange the marriage between a Chassan and a Kala. And they were, in the olden days, they were done outside and a lot of times by a river, and the whole town was invited. And the day the chas arrived, the Baal Shem Tov's there, the music's playing, the, ch- the chuppah's up. The Baal Shem Tov's standing under the chuppah, just about ready to start the chas, and all of a sudden there's a wagon that was passing by because it was outside by the river. And all of a sudden a person in that wagon sticks his head out to see what's going on, to see the chas a little bit. It's a stranger. The Baal Shem Tov takes notice of that person in the wagon. The Baal Shem Tov turns to the chassan and counts and says, excuse me, I have to take care of something. I'll be one minute. <laughs> Imagine, right under the chuppah. They stop the chassan, he runs to the wagon, says something to the person in the wagon for 30 seconds. The wagon goes on. The Baal Shem Tov comes back. They continue the wedding and everything's fine. However, the students of the Baal Shem Tov know Baal Shem Tov would not do such a thing to such a person unless that person was a very special person. So the students waited until the chas was over. They start going around the town trying to find that wagon and they can't find it at all. One day goes by, another day goes by. They're circling around. They take rides. They want to find that wagon. Who's that special person? Well, about a week or two later, these chasinim have to be traveling to a neighboring town and they see that wagon. Oh, that's the wagon. That was by the chasana. They got out, they knocked on the door and a regular guy opens the door. The Hasidim asks him, sorry to bother you, but is that your wagon outside? He says, yes. So then they, they, they said, let me ask you a question. Were you in the town for the wedding a week or two ago? Yes. And the Baal Shem Tov come over to you? He says, yeah. Well, then you must be a very special person. That's because Baal Shem Tov would not interrupt a wagon just for anybody. Like I said, no, I'm a nobody. I'm nothing. I'm a regular guy. You, no. No, no, we want a bracha from you. We want a blessing. You must be special. No, I'm not special. I can't give you a bracha because I'm not a special person. So if you're not a special person, why would the Baal Shem Tov come over to you in the middle of a wedding? <coughs> says, okay, if you need to know why, this is a story. He says, I have a neighbor across the street and we get along nicely. We aren't the best of friends, but we get along. And the way his business runs is he's out for business three to four months a year. He brings back how much money he makes, and that money he makes supports his family for the rest of the year. So it happened to be that a couple of weeks ago, I was at home, a day like today, and it happened to be on that day, my neighbor came back from the business trip, and I see from my window that this man came back with a big sack with all the money he made on the trip, and I see he recklessly puts this bag on the front porch and walks into his house. I assume he's going to be back immediately to take the money. Like what if someone were to take the money and all his parnas was lost? And I was thinking to myself, how irresponsible this is. And that someone should teach him a lesson. 
So I said to myself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to teach him a lesson. I'm going to take it for a few minutes. So he comes out, gets scared just for a little, but I'll teach him that it could have been a real robber and he'll learn to never do that again. So I ran over across the street, took the bag into my house. I waited a couple of minutes. All of a sudden, I hear, I hear screaming. A ganef, a ganef, someone stole my money. The neighbor's wife hears and comes out to see what happened. And he explained how someone took all the money they just worked so hard for. Now, I was planning on only facing the husband to tell about this. Now there's his wife and other neighbors are getting together to try to help to find the God. It's getting crazy. People are starting to accuse each other. I'm too afraid to just come forth in front of everybody. So I say this to myself, let me hold on to the money overnight. Ugh, it was such a bad idea. I'll give it to the neighbor in the morning when things calm down. So on the way to shul, I see signs about returning the bag of money with the reward that people put together. And everybody was talking about it in shul. And now I became so paranoid when anybody would say good morning, I would assume they're all suspecting me. I default, I can't sleep, I can't eat, I can't function. I got to a point where I think I just have to move. Nobody knows the secret. Even my wife doesn't know why I'm not sleeping well and I can't function. Nobody knows the secret. Everyone's accusing other people, but I can't function. And one day I decide to get on my wagon and just go, just to get out of town to clear my mind before I make any rash decision. So I leave my family without, you know, explaining why. He gets into the wagon. He travels randomly. He ends up in this shtetl. And he happens to notice there's a huge chasa going on. And he's watching the chasana. Meanwhile, the Masada Kedushin, the Baal Shem Tov notices and makes eye contact with him. And he says, at that moment I froze. There was something magnetic about those eyes. He approached me and what he said to me, Mamish changed my life. What did the Baal Shem Tov say? He didn't ask who I am, what my story was here. All he said was one simple sentence. It's not too late. Whatever you think you can't fix, it's not too late. That was it. I was so taken aback by those words and I said to myself, maybe it's not too late. What am I worried about? This whole thing was my simple mistake and it can be simply fixed by returning the money and everything can go back to normal. He continued, those simple words of the Baal Shem Tov cut through the clouds and confusion. It's not too late. I went back to the town, gathered all my strength and I was expecting to admit to what I did and he was going to punch me in the face and maybe call the cops. But you know what? I said, this is the right thing to do. It's the simple solution. So I went there, I started crying, took the money out, and explained how big a mistake it was. And instead of punching me, he hugs me and he thanks me. And you don't know how much pressure you've allevi alleviated off my back. Rabbi said, these words of the Baal Shem Tov have to be heard by us. More often than not, the menios, the obstacles that we see between us and the people that we have to be are just delusions. They're clouds of the mind. 
We have to be able to hear the words of the Baal Shem Tov cutting through all the confusion and the darkness, getting to the truth, which is just to fix things before it's too late. And those corrections we feel we have to make in our lives, just focus on that and with the strength of the Baal Shem Tov, make that correction. And if you're ever going to make it, this is the week to make it. Because the energies of encouragement will not be stronger on Thursday next week. Now's the time. Each of us should take advantage of whatever mistakes we've made. Let the Avigail inside of us overcome and persuade the novel inside of us so that these 10 days of tshuva will be used wisely and that we should really have mamish a shana masuka with bracha and a gemar chasimatova to each and every one of us in Klal Yisrael.